All right, Second Chronicles 6 uh, starts Solomon's prayer of dedication. You probably have that in your Bible, Second Chronicles 6. Um, in my Bible, verse 12 is where Solomon's prayer of dedication starts. Remember, he has uh, blessed the people and blessed God. And then I, I chose Second Chronicles over First Kings because it has, uh, but the end of the prayers, a lot of the prayers the same. Uh, but we're going to have to compare and we're going to have to look at First Kings 8 and Second Chronicles 6 separately When we, by the time we get to the end of the prayer. They're very different. And so because they're very different, uh, likely uh, we will have to look at one one week and then the other the other week and just look at them like the life of Christ, different gospels. But just uh, they just give different more information. They're not competing. So. Because Second Chronicles six gives us uh, a little more information, we'll stay we'll stay here uh, this morning and try to cover uh, verse twelve down to verse twenty one. Right, so that's our text for today. You'll see if you want to read ahead, you'll see that twenty two to the end of uh, verse forty two, the end of chapter six, is a lot of ifs, and uh, there's a lot of similarities with those paragraphs and so i don't know how long uh it'll take me to get through that um but i'll probably i'll probably deal with a chunk of uh, probably verse 22 down to verse uh in the late 30s um probably take that together because um of how similar they are but for today uh solomon verse 12 we'll read in verse 12 then solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands. So outside of the temple is this huge altar. Um, we said it was 30 feet by 30 feet and 15 feet high. So a massive amount of stairs going up. The, our auditorium, the peak of the auditorium is 15 feet high. So that is how big the bronze altar was outside of the temple, how high it was. And then this room is a it's roughly 30 by 30. Um, so about um, as big as this room, as tall as uh, our auditorium is. But he's not on top of or near the he's near the altar. It says before the altar there. And he had made for this occasion, verse 13, Solomon made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide and three cubits high and set it in the court, and he stood on So he made a temporary platform, and uh, these squares that are on the ground here um, are roughly seven feet. The individual squares are about seven feet. So imagine seven and a half feet, so roughly about, this will be enough for one person, and it's on a platform, and then it is three cubits high, which is four and a half feet high. So four and a half feet someone's uh, even sitting on a four and a half foot tall platform. If everyone's still standing, he's still going to be visible. So he makes this platform so that he is visible um, in front of all the people. And it's clearly uh, that he is standing on the platform. And then when, before he prays, he is going to kneel. Um, he, he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. So, First Kings eight doesn't include this platform. It just says he spread out his hands toward heaven. That's all First Kings eight says. So, it says he spread out his hands in verse twelve, 
And then it also says he spread out his hands in verse 13. Uh, after it tells us about uh, the platform, he's clearly taking the position of prayer. And we assume that because of what comes next, his long prayer. So he is an example of a king that has all the power in the world, humanly speaking right now, uh, but is showing the people how to depend on God. Okay, so I wrote as the uh, theme for this passage, the prayer of dependent people. So anytime a prayer in scripture is recorded, uh, it we can learn from it and uh, we can take things from that prayer and learn how to how to pray in a similar way based on our situation. So what I'll try to do and the challenge with Old Testament is there's a little bit of similarity and there's some differences that we have to discern in interpreting the Old Testament because we don't have a temple today. We don't come and worship God and we don't have a holy of holies. We don't have a holy place. We don't have priests. We don't have sacrifices. So there's a lot of things that we don't have that Solomon did have. Uh, but what I'll try to do is help us to, to learn and then clearly imitating Solomon's dependence and humility. Okay. He takes a position. The position is in verse 12 and 13. He puts himself in a position of an example, and as a king, everybody wanted to know what the king was doing, how the king would worship, how the king would dedicate this temple, and so he puts himself in a position of example uh, as the, the leader of Israel. Uh, his father was a, a godly leader, and Solomon wants to follow in his, his uh, godly footsteps, and he knew from his father that godly leaders though powerful, um, were dependent and were humble and were men of prayer. And so Solomon starts his, his prayer here in verse 14. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. Okay, we're going to take phrase by phrase um, and ask ourselves, can we... And should we pray this? Okay. And the answer for this first phrase, O God, um, God of Israel, uh, the Lord, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth. So he starts with God, praising God. And uh, we had the position of dependence, those first two verses. Now the rest of it is praise or petition, asking God for things. And it's interesting in this in these the next nine verses or so that asking God for things and praising God kind of just go back and forth. So we don't have to often separate our prayers. Like, okay, I've got to praise God. And now I got to switch gears from praise to asking God for things and incorporating them together. That's often how we talk to people too. We praise them. We ask for things. We praise them. We ask for things. It just goes back and forth. And we mix this up uh, in our normal conversation. So you're going to see, praising God for things, and then asking God for things, and they're just interspersed. So uh, that is the prayer of dependence. He starts with praising God for what? There's no God like you in heaven or on earth. That clearly is an example for us. Is there still no God like our God? Absolutely. And when we have to do hard things, 
like we're in the middle of as a church, we have to remember there's still no God like our God. When we're in difficult situations at home or when we are praying and I have been provoked to pray in my office, at my in my truck, uh, driving, you've been provoked to pray as God brings people to mind and situations to mind. Having this or starting a prayer like this has, has helped me in the past. And starting with, there's no God like you. I mean, we're surrounded, like I said, Sunday with idolatry, as Israel was surrounded by idolatry. But for Israel to say there's no God on the whole earth like our God. Okay. This is why they built the temple. Okay. But we're not building a temple. Our bodies are the temple. And if our bodies are the temple, and these bodies need to remind these bodies at times, there is no God like our God. As we interact with people that are worshiping false gods, worshiping people, worshiping things, we're going to have the Super Bowl this Sunday. People worship Taylor Swift. People worship football. People worship money. There's a, gambling is huge, huge in our culture this Sunday. Um, there's all kinds of idols, and these idols are meant to be attached to our lives that are going to help us better our lives. But those are just idols. We have the true and living God. And to start praying with there's no God like you puts us in a position where we're going to expect things of God that we're not going to expect and of anything else and nothing else can deliver what our God can deliver. So this is why we pray and we're at a prayer meeting. And why do we pray? Because there's no God like our God and he wants us to talk to him. So his people in the old Testament can teach us um, how to pray. And this is a, a wonderful example of how to pray. There's no God like you. Where is there no God like you? In heaven or on earth, okay? <laughs> In all of the universe, there is no God like the Lord, all right? And then he tells us, that's really the heart of the prayer, and the rest of it, he's going to explain how there's no God like God. I mean, and so God is, we would say God is holy, or he's separate from us, but holy is distinct, um, separate from sin, but there's no God like our God. All right, so what does this God do? He keeps covenant, keeping covenant. That means he's constantly keeping his promises, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. So praise continues. Because our holy God keeps his promises to all those who want to serve him. When we see heart, we've learned this from Romans 6 as well. The people in uh, Rome were obedient to God from their heart. Verse 17 of chapter 6, we learned that in, in Sunday morning. And now whenever we see heart in the Old Testament, it's the same, okay? The, the desire of man, the people of God are serving God because they want to serve God. Now, there are, are times in the Old Testament where they have idols of the heart. Uh, Ezekiel 14 brings that out. And the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel, are actually 
going astray in their hearts and they're just going through the motions. And it's easy to do. Um, we are around God's people. You can come to church. You can pray. You can just go through the motions. How do we know if we don't know? You can fool us, but you'll never fool God. And you can be obeying God just externally. But the Romans in Romans 6, 17, obeyed God from the heart. They were once slaves of sin. Now they're obeying God from the heart. Solomon knows the weakness of all of us as sinners and knows that we're going to struggle to obey God from our heart. Solomon's going to be an example of struggling and falling often into sin, disobeying God. But he knows that when he obeys God, God keeps covenant and shows steadfast love to those who serve God and, and walk before him with all their heart. And God keeping his promises should provoke us to want to serve God with our hearts, our whole heart. Verse 15, who have kept, this is, he's continuing to praise God. God has kept with your servant, David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand, you have fulfilled it this day. And so verse 15, God has kept specific promises. So we have more of scripture than Solomon did. And what Solomon knew about God provoked him to praise God for God having kept his promises. So God says to David, you're not going to build the temple. Your son's going to build the temple. And now the temple has, has been built. And Solomon dedicating the temple saying, God, you have kept your promises. Now we live thousands of years later. We have more of God's promises that he has kept that should provoke us to praise God. And the huge one is the promise of Jesus. God promised his son over and over, and we're studying that as a church in Sunday school. And because God keeps his promises, and as we praise him that there's no one like you, what should help us to know we have in the pages of scripture and in history uh, the pattern of God keeping his promises, okay? And it also provokes us to fear and reverence and obedience because God's going to keep his promise of what's laid out in Daniel and Revelation, other prophecies for us, that God will keep his promises. How do we know? Because there's no one like him. He's holy. He has kept his promises. He will keep his promises. So, uh, but what, uh, da uh, what Solomon is praying and bringing his dad, his servant David into it is that, God, you have kept your promises. You have fulfilled it this day. Verse 16. Now, therefore, oh Lord, here's where the petition or asking God to do something. Oh Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant, David, my father, what you have promised him saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel and we'll, we'll stop there. So God promised, this is the Davidic covenant. You can see it in 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, is an unconditional promise that, that uh, David's going to have someone to sit on his throne forever. And so with God um, having kept his promises in the past, in the present, Solomon's asking for God to keep his promises in the future. And then he has a condition, which this condition is not in First uh, Chronicles 17. It's not in Second Samuel 7. 
So where does this condition come from? We're not going to look it up, but it's from Psalm 132, verse 12. And that psalm is a psalm of ascents where the Israelites would use uh, the psalms in the 130s, late 120s, uh, to praise God as they were traveling uh, to Jerusalem to worship. But three times David is mentioned in Psalm 132. And so I'm going to assume that uh, Solomon likely knew Psalm 132. And so he refers to Psalm 132 here in his prayer um, because the condition that we see here, if only your son pays close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me, that condition is not in uh, the Davidic covenant, but it's uh, reiterated later um, in Psalm 132. And so uh, it's clearly appropriate for Solomon to pray this. And it has, whenever you put a condition on uh, the sons, uh, there is a warning. If uh, if your sons pay close attention to the way, walk in my laws as you have walked before me, then your sons are also going to know uh, God's uh, presence and steadfast love. Um, and it, it ties back to verse 14 of the faithfulness of your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. So Solomon was promised um, earlier that he would have length of days if he walked before uh, God. But here uh, he is, um, I wouldn't say he's not adding to the Davidic covenant. He is helping probably to provoke generations, including his sons, to uh, to walk before God in obedience. All right, verse 17. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David. So he mentions your servant, David, a couple times here, uh, that God has kept his promises. We expect God to uh, keep his promises. Um, and 1 Kings 3.14, Solomon's condition when God talked to him, when he asked for wisdom, was uh, God promised Solomon personal long life if Solomon would obey. But that's not what he's saying here. He's talking about his sons, and he's likely talking about uh, Psalm 132, verse 12. All right, then praise continues because not just our God is holy and keeps his promises, but verse 18 to 21, you have a paragraph break in your Bible, likely if you have uh, an ESV. And um, so verse 18 to 21, uh, talk about God being holy. And what is it about God that he's uh, magnifying here in this part of his prayer? It is God's omnipresence. Is there any God like our God? Well, the answer is no. There's no God who's holy like God, but there's also no God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And so this helps us to live obedient lives, to walk before God, because God's also in our, in our heart and our mind. He knows what we're thinking. And he knows everyone on the face of the earth, what they're thinking. And the psalmist says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? I can't go anywhere. Uh, I've <laughs> all of the places on the in the universe I could try to go, I would not escape God's presence. Okay, that's a good thing for us that we'll never escape God's presence. And because at times the people of Israel needed a reminder of God's presence to worship before God's presence, God's presence is going to be the focal point of the rest of this prayer. And so I'm going to say that God is omnipresent here. But the rest of the prayer is focusing um, 
the people of Israel back toward the place of God's presence. Okay. And now this is where it's different for us because we don't have a temple. We don't have God dwelling above the Ark of the Covenant in the New Testament. And you think of the woman at the well talking with Jesus about and debating a little bit about where to worship. And Jesus said, the time is coming when Jerusalem is not where you're going to have to go to worship. It's not going to be the center of worship that we're all going to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, so Jesus changes things as he comes in John 4. But for the Old Testament, the, the temple was going to be the place of God's presence and the focal point. Even if the children of Israel were away from the temple, they were going to be able to look back to this place. They were supposed to pray back toward this place whenever they sin against God, which we'll see in the rest of the prayer. All right. 18 to 21. But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. This is a glorious temple covered in gold inside the Holy of Holies. But Solomon talking to the king of Tyre, Hiram, uh, and they're going back and forth uh, in talking. Uh, Solomon says these almost same words to him. God can't be contained in a house that I'm going to build. All right. Because God is omnipresent. He is holy. There's no God like our God. And is he really going to indeed dwell with man on earth? Um, he understands the weakness that we have as humanity. And the weakness of man is displayed here in this, uh, this paragraph. Verse, the limitations of man. Verse 19. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you. What about verse 19 shows the weakness that Solomon's anticipating is he's finished this temple. This is where they're going to meet with God and offer sacrifices. What is the weakness of humanity that Solomon uh, mentions in verse 19? Do you see any weak ways that humanity is weak in verse 19? What do you see man doing? Asking and crying to the Lord, right? Usually, it, it's not wrong to cry, but when we cry, it's a sign of weakness, okay? It's not a sign usually of strength. Um, so when we cry out to the Lord, we're realizing, okay, you have something that I don't have. And so when we cry to the Lord and when we pray, Prayer is a sign of weakness, too. You say it's also strength. Yes, but praying people are relying on something because they're weak. And that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a dependent thing. And Solomon, in the middle of this prayer, is telling, is showing the people of Israel, this is how you talk to God. And um, God, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. Listen to us, God. Listening to the cry and the prayer that your servant prays before you. All right, then. Uh, so the prayer continues because our holy present God is expected to see his weak people. If you notice verse 19, it says, um, have regard to the prayer or see the prayer of your servant. 
Solomon is showing the people um, obviously what God already sees. But when you think of Hagar and um, her crying out to God, and whenever God answers her, whenever she is kicked out of the house and she's got a, a little baby or she's pregnant and she says, you're the God who sees me. Um, he, she gives a name to Jehovah uh, that we can appreciate. And Solomon picks up on that and says, you, you see the prayer of your servant. But more than seeing, we're okay if God sees, but we really want him in, in talking to him. We want him to not just see that we're talking to him, but he, we want him to listen. So the end of verse 19 and verse 20 and the first part of verse 21 is all not focused on God seeing, but on God hearing. All right, so you, and you'll notice the words listening. Verse 19 continues, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you that your eyes may be open uh, day and night toward this house. So again, focusing on God seeing, but then he's going to go back to this place. You promise to set your name that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, okay, we'll stop there. So notice how many times he's focusing on listening, listen, listen to the prayers. When you listen, and where is God listening from? He's listening from heaven. Solomon knows that he's created a temple, but God doesn't, because he's omnipresent, he's not confined to that temple. And heaven is where help is going to come from. Um, supernatural help. And Solomon is dependent on God because God is holy and because God is present. And if God is present, because he's omnipresent, there's no, no one like him, he's expected to see weak people, and then he's expected to hear weak people. And why did I choose weak people? Because of the last word of verse 21. And when you hear, forgive. All right, there is a huge sign of weakness. I wouldn't expect to see the word forgive there. Up to that point, I would hear expect something else. Uh, act, respond, something else. But why does he say forgive? That's a transition to what he's going to say, because he's going to give a lot of scenarios of people, of God's people needing forgiveness. Why is there a temple in the middle of Israel? Because God's people need forgiveness. Why are there sacrifices? Because God's people need forgiveness. We're sinners. We are not like a holy God. We are not omnipresent. We are not all-powerful. Our kids can cry to us and we say, I'm glad you cried to me, but you need to learn to pray to God. You need to learn to go to God because I am limited there's going to come a time in my life that I cannot help you, and you're going to be apart from me. I'm not omnipresent. I don't have the power and the wisdom and the resources God has, but you need to learn how to cry out to the God of heaven, your God. You walk before him, you trust him, and you watch him provide for you. Okay, so we turn our hearts, our hearts toward God. We also help the next generation and generations to set their heart toward God as well. And 
if you have a temple and you've got this massive uh, bronze altar outside it and you have all these priests and you've got daily sacrifices, all that's a reminder. We're trying to worship a holy God because we are sinful. Now in the New Testament, we don't have a temple. We don't have a huge bronze altar. We don't have animals. We have another reminder that we are sinners. His name is Jesus. Every four weeks, we remind ourselves we are not a holy people, and our God is holy. Our God has sent his holy son to take our place on the cross. Every time we worship, we worship on Sunday, reminding us, okay, God is a resurrecting God. Christ is in heaven. He's going to come back to rescue these sinful people who are his. And what do we need because we're sinners from our holy present God? What do we need? We need forgiveness. And so as Solomon's going to transition from praying and praising God, he's going to throw out a lot of scenarios at the end of this prayer and dedicating the temple where notice the place is mentioned at the end of um, this section. The place is mentioned a couple times. Okay, so the place, you see the place there mentioned in verse 20? That God's going to be seeing this house. God's going to be seeing this place. That be, Why? Because God promised to set his name there, and God always keeps his promises. And then, if you notice in verse 21, they pray, there's an anticipation that the people of Israel in the Old Testament those who are trying to walk with God, they are going to pray toward this place. And as they pray toward this place, there's an anticipation that God is going to hear from heaven, from his dwelling place in heaven. And when he hears his people, what he's going to hear from them is asking for forgiveness. It's like 1 John 1, 9, right? When we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. There's an anticipation in 1 John that we have assurance of salvation, but we're going to struggle with sin. And when we struggle with sin, we don't say we don't have sin. We don't justify it. We say, oh, no, oh, I'm a sinner. And when I confess sin, okay, then I can enjoy God's presence and his forgiveness. So with this temple is a reminder, in the middle of Israel, we're sinful people. God is holy, and we pray toward God's presence, expecting only God can do what only God can do, and it is forgive us. And so that's, that's where we'll stop today.